0: Hello and welcome to the Intersection Education Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Haley. Today we're speaking with Dr. Jim Brandon, Associate Dean of Professional and Community Engagement and Associate Professor at the Workland School of Education at the University of Calgary. In his teaching career, he served 23 years in the superintendency in two school districts, worked as a principal for nine years, a vice principal for four, and began as a secondary social studies teacher. Jim works extensively with several of the provincial educational partners in Alberta. He's a past president of the College of Alberta School Superintendents, or CAS, and served as its director of leadership capacity building from 2009 through 2011. His two books and a number of recent papers focus on school system leadership in the Alberta context. Dr. Brandon is also a life member of the Alberta Teachers Association and has conducted two recent research studies for the association. He currently serves on two of its provincial committees. Now, if you like what you're hearing, connect with us, Intersection Education. You can go to our website at intersectioneducation.com. You can follow us on Twitter at IntersectionEd. We're even on Facebook, and we really do appreciate it when you rate us on iTunes and leave a review. Here's my conversation with Dr. Jim Brandon. Jim Brandon, welcome to the Intersection Education podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, How are you?
1: Well, you know, I'm uh, doing really well for a person with a broken shoulder and a uh, little bit of a vertebra uh, disruption. But uh, other than that, I'm, I'm I'm good.
0: Good to hear. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Uh, a lot of the things that that you research and and your lived experience is, is right up my alley and right up the the alley of other school leaders. So I'm really excited. To, to talk to you. And I, and I want to talk about, or I want to start in one of those areas that I know you're passionate about and I, you've done a lot of research in, and that's ongoing professional learning for school leaders. So w- when you're thinking about leaders in school and their ongoing learning and how they develop better skills. Do you have any advice or do you have any, any things that you have seen in your research that would help them to continue to develop and learn and, and be better school leaders?
1: Well, you know, Corey, first of all, it's great to be here and that is one of my passions. And um and I've had a lot to do with that over, you know, twenty-three years in the superintendency and the last ten years working uh, both with the College of Alberta school superintendents, but also more recently the University of, of Calgary. So I would say that you, when you look at ongoing professional learning for school leaders, then you have to look at that um, from two perspectives. One is, is what you do as an individual leader, and then what you do as a member of a group of leaders. Um, and for example, currently, Uh, I'm working with my colleague, Sharon Friesen, uh, with uh, the 19 senior leaders in the Calgary Board of Education. So the three superintendents and the, um, my math is always that good, 16 um, people who are the directors of the areas and in the subject areas in that whole system. So we're just getting into a new approach to helping them work as a group. But at the same time, we're, uh, we're giving them the opportunity to start on a, a cycle of growth planning that becomes really relevant. So I think um, that that's one sort of background that I'll keep in mind as I talk a little more about the two approaches. So I, I think when you are learning something that is really an essential, uh, area of your practice and uh, we have such skilled um, school and system leaders in alberta so when you can when you can derive your own personal learning around something that's really fundamentally um, valuable valuable to you then you're um, you're off to a better start than going through the motions of establishing a growth plan that gets uh, written and then forgotten, you know. So that, that idea that, firstly, um, in research we've done on teacher growth, supervision and evaluation, and I, when I say we, I mean eight colleagues from three different universities, the clearest uh, finding was that focusing on growth is the best way of achieving quality. And when the individual buys into Uh, their uh, assessment and uh, design of a growth plan that really addresses something that's critically important to them, but it's also connected to, uh, say, a leadership standard or or competencies within a standard, then the the chances of making a difference for the individual are really, really much higher. So that's kind of the first thing that comes to my mind
0: do you have examples of what that focus on growth might look like so I'm thinking about um it sounds like it's more of a framing of a question than an actual goal so can you give me an example of of what uh maybe a difference between not a focus on growth and what a focus of the growth goal might look like or approach might look like
1: yeah i i think um a couple of my colleagues um Pam, Pamela Adams and Carmen Monberquette from the University of Lethbridge have worked with school systems around the province uh, around essential questions. And so the notion is that, you know, when you um, as as the senior leader in a system are really focused on uh, an inquiry question that is fundamental to the way in which your work um, can support the work of principals. Okay, so if that, at a system level, you say what What do I know about what's happening with the people who I'm responsible for helping to grow school principals, school administrators? And when you when you ask yourself uh, a, a question around, let's use the term instructional leadership because that's an area where I've done a lot of work. You know, and and so. So how can I become a better instructional leader? So that's a fairly broad question, but um, it's a place to start. And so at the principal level, uh, you know, you might say, well, or at the assistant principal level, because you're working with the leadership quality standard, you might say, well, yeah, I'd like to, uh, you know, I, uh, I'm, I'm pretty good at working one-to-one with people, but I'm comfortable in talking with them, Visiting their classrooms, but I'm challenged by how to really get impact from uh, professional learning communities. When I when I get three or four principals all working in the or teachers working in the same direction, or my grade four class uh, teachers working together, then uh, how do I how do I learn to really help them develop agency around their learning? How do I uh, you know not try to do it to them or for them, but with them. You know, that, that, that idea of, um, you know, collaboration and, and helping to develop uh, agency through iterative conversations is really, you know, critical in professional learning. I might be getting, you know, into the, the, um, you know, the other side, and that is how do you help people learn together as part of a team? how do we put into effect what uh, goes back to in Peter Senge and the notion of team learning? The notion that when people who have uh, shared responsibility for a school or part of a school system are, are learning together and holding knowledge uh, together as opposed to being the solo heroic leader, then I think you're you're going to be ending up with a, a better outcome through the professional learning. So I think professional learning has to be rooted in, the, um, in what's important, what's real, connected to standards, and based on evidence that you gather about whether or not what you're trying to do is actually having an impact. And the evidence can come from your own reflections, the evidence can come from feedback from other colleagues, but it, it's a it's an idea about professionalism that uh, is um, more um, more widely evident in areas like medicine, for example. You know the idea of the uh, you know of uh, people doing rounds and uh, you know and and sharing knowledge. But uh, going back to an, to making the fundamental commitment to doing something with your professional learning time that's going to make a difference for you. And it's going to be directly impact those you work with, whether you're working with kids as a teacher or whether you're working with adults as a uh, school leader or system leader.
0: And that was going to be my follow-up question. I think you got there. And that's this idea of did you have any tips for school leaders helping the teachers that they're working with? continue to have great professional learning. And it sounds like you kind of touched on that. It's the idea of importance, the idea of personal value, the idea of tied to standards and impact. Is there much of a difference, to tell you the truth, between great school leader learning and good teacher learning? I guess the quality standard might be a difference. You have the teacher quality standard as opposed to the leadership quality standard. But I mean, it still needs to be tied, I guess, and it still needs to—you still need to measure your impact. Any other uh, nuances that you can see between great school leader learning and great teacher learning?
1: You know, I, I think they are very similar, and I think in the systems that we've studied, and I'll use Canadian Rockies school system as an example, where we've worked for five years. Where the superintendent gets before—it's a small school division—but gets before uh, fifty um, school uh, teacher leaders and uh, school leaders, and shares his growth plan and talks about what he's focusing on, and uh, and then uh, asks people to you know be more public about their growth plans. Then I I think the you know the learning is is very similar in that it. It's focused on what's uh, good for kids and their learning, uh, uh, teachers and their learning, principals and their learning, or school leaders and their learning. Uh, but it also, you know, needs to be based on evidence and supported and altered by the evidence that's gathered because it's rooted in daily practice. So if you're trying to improve your uh, your impact on a group of teachers as an administrator, then uh, that, that you know, that idea of, um, you know, being explicit about what you're trying to do as a goal, working with uh, uh, perhaps other educa- other leaders who you can get feedback from, but also, you know, asking, you know, the teachers you're working with whether or not what you're doing to try to help them is actually having an impact. One of the findings that we had from our teacher growth super supervision and evaluation study, which was called Building, Supporting, and Assuring Quality Professional Practice, which is a 200-page study uh, delivered to the government in the spring of 2018. It had 10 re- recommendations, and six of them are going to be in the revised policy on teacher growth supervision and evaluation that is, our, that is at the minister's desk. But one of the findings was, That um, teachers appreciated what uh, school leaders were doing, um, you know, trying to do with them. But they didn't always understand, you know, for instance, why the person, the leader, was in the in the classroom. You know, it was a bit of a mystery, and and this is kind of one of the challenges of walkthroughs. But the, you know, we when you when you find agreement between you know, what the administrator is trying to do and how the, the teacher understands that practice, um, then you're much more likely to, to be successful. Similarly, you know, so it, it falls into the category of assuring quality professional practice. That's the evaluation side. The building professional practice is what we've been talking about. That's the growth side. And in the middle, Uh, misunderstood is the supervision side you know everything that's designed to provide support for the the teacher and some of the new writing under the policy that we expect to see uh, coming out in the next short while will use language that will you know help to reframe some of the differences between growth which is the real focus supervision which is supporting growth and then uh assessing growth um you know in in ways that are actually constructive as well
0: yeah i want to get into that evaluation piece of it and and i think that it seems natural to kind of go there because i've been involved in quite a few teacher evaluations and i know you probably have been as well and you know these they they're they're pretty different in style and, and based on where you are or what the collective agreement rules are or maybe the laws and policies and all that kind of stuff. And, and I know you've looked at this. So when when you think of great teacher evaluation processes, ones that really cut to the essence of, of, of what these should be about, what, what are the kind of things that you see? What are the, the underlying principles that you would say are the best practices around teacher evaluations?
1: Well, you know, I'm going to start off by saying in Alberta, we overemphasize evaluation at the beginning of a teacher's career when, in fact, you know, we can have very good evaluations, but it doesn't necessarily help to have the same kind of evaluation three or four times in a row, you know, so that um, and what we recommend is uh, fewer evaluations at the beginning and more support but you know so uh, but when you get to the evaluation surprisingly that was the component in the uh, surveys that we did you know about a thousand surveys and in the 10 case studies across the the province where we we found teachers felt that there were some things that really were evident in the evaluation process as outlined in Alberta policy and followed in most school jurisdictions. They, they found that one, the criteria were clear and the uh, criteria were understood uh, you know, to a, a strong degree. The people, the principals were, were quite good at uh, giving, giving clear notice about this is an evaluation and the establishing agreement on the criteria and on following the process. So the, the idea that there's a through line from, you know, the teaching quality standard or, in the case, a school leader, between the the leadership quality standard and the um, criteria that are agreed upon and the um and, and the process, you know, a notice, so that you understand that an evaluation is occurring, uh, and then gathering information over time so that uh, people um, understand that an, an evaluation isn't a one-shot drop in, write some stuff down, um, go away, write it up. It's, you know, it's more of an ongoing process, gathering of information, Over time uh, and providing feedback along the way so that the individual can see how the process is unfolding and where they are in the process. So, that idea of summative evaluation for students um, and summative evaluation for teachers uh, being uh, clear out, clear uh, expectations, clear process. and uh, assessment over time, according to a um, an, an agreed upon framework, too. So three visits, perhaps, uh, that would be you know more in a clinical cycle, uh, where there would be discussion pre pre conference, observation, uh, and, uh, and 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 post conference. But there might also be you know some uh, drop in visits, you know. That, but whatever the plan is the teacher should understand or the principal should understand what the plan is and then adherence to the plan uh, is is I think I think critical so uh, yeah so I, I think what uh, I think there is we found a conflation between supervision and evaluation uh, where uh, for teachers whenever a principal or a leader um, was in a in their classroom, they saw they saw that as evaluation, where in, in fact the only evaluation that can occur under the provincial policy is an evaluation where notice has been given, you know, either at the beginning of a career or when lots of supervision visits have led to the determination that the teacher may not be meeting the teaching quality standard. And therefore, at that point, an evaluation could be un- undertaken uh, around specific competencies within the, the standard. So the, the, there's, um, I think there's an opportunity with a new policy coming up for for everyone to better understand the, you know, the role of the individual leading his or her own growth, the uh uh, through the growth planning process, uh, the benefits of uh, ongoing interaction where leaders are in classrooms but are also working with groups of teachers in supportive ways to support their learning. That's the supervision piece. And then when the evaluations occur, you know what you know what reasons are there for the evaluation: a new teacher uh, for contract, a new teacher for probation, or not probation, but for um, for um one for contract one for for uh professional status and and uh, and uh, and then uh when a person's in difficulty or when the teacher requests it uh because the teacher might want to be seen you know in a different light for promotion purposes or something like that
0: I think we'll leave evaluation and 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 talk maybe a little bit more generally about education and and this is right up in your wheelhouse because I know that that one of the things you do is you are speaking with people about education uh, quite a lot uh, from all over not only the province but the country and and even internationally and I'd like to know when you're having those conversations when you're talking about learning or education. Is there something that you believe is really true that a lot of people disagree with you about that you say, no, we, we really think this, or my experience leads me to think this, but either, um, other researchers or other people, perhaps outside of education say, no, I just, I just don't see it, Jim. I, I don't think that's the case.
1: Yeah. I think the most undervalued, um, you know, um, I, I would say the, the idea of collaborative leadership is not in everybody's wheelhouse you know there's there's you know there I think they're still in you know like I I have friends in the oil industry I have relatives in the oil industry you know and and you know they they talk about you know the the need to be tough all the time you know and the need to you know let's uh you know you know be you know kind of a get-or-done kind of orientation. And so, um, and they, they, they see the the worker management split as being, you know, a very challenging one to overcome. And I guess I've found through a very long career that the, the more you try to work with people and the more you try to bring them in, the more likely it is that things are, are going to uh, get done in a way that is, um, you know, rec- it requires less lifting in the longer in the longer term. So when you're working with people, is uh, sometimes seen as being idealistic. It's sometimes being is seen as uh, fluffy. You know, let's get together and talk about this. Oh yeah, one more meeting. Well, I'm not talking about uh, getting people together in artificial ways. I'm talking about if we really wanna get something done, then let's, let's draw from the expertise and the understanding of the people who are involved. And uh, I'll give you a really good example of when um, I was acting superintendent for Hill School Division when one of our schools burnt down, okay? I mean, you wake up in the morning, there's a fire in High River, and Senator Riley's school is, is burning. And, uh, and so our superintendent was, uh, you know, as those chief superintendents are sometimes, you know, missing in action. He, he was away and, uh, and, uh, so it was, we had the deputy's job. It was my turn to be the deputy that year. And so, you know, what do we do? So we, we called the remaining team members together and, uh, you know, we, we, we dished out, uh, Priority assignments, so that various people, you know, uh, who were good at various parts of it, could get things done. And uh, so, I think our response was such that by the end of the first day, you know, we had we had the the, the secretary treasurer speaking to the media all the time. We had uh, one of the the other associate superintendent had reorganize the schedule at the adjoining the the high school in in okotope so that we had a night shift and a day shift that would be starting in a couple of days you know and we were we you know and um and so the way that we worked together through that particular uh setting to me just was was really was really interesting so it was um you know seeing how people wanted to step up and to contribute and then uh seeing how You know, by and we met we met frequently over the next couple of weeks, but we we got into action very quickly because that was what we needed to do, and we had a couple of people on that team who who were the naysayers, you know, and so uh, get having people giving you the black hat approach uh, during those times can be challenging, and actually one of them we had to you know give kind of okay, well we hear you, but we have to do something. So, you know, so it, it sort of separated the people who were ready to collaborate, to be collaborative and to do less than perfect uh, solutioning and uh, to, to get moving. And um, and then on the other hand, uh, it was interesting that there was the leading, the leadership of the individual school, they they drilled, their, they spent their time on wanting to find out who done it, you know, like at a Uh, And there were a lot of people on staff who I think would have been better served had they, you know, been receiving, you know, you know, uh, know, being pulled into a community and to be, you know, understood for what they were dealing with. And, you know, the the leader of the school came around, but initially it was a got to fight. It's a whodunit, I'm a detective kind of approach as opposed to what's the most important thing that we're going to do now. So I think, and in other cases, I'll give you one more example on the curriculum side where, you know, when we were challenged with a lot of curriculum change way back in the late eighties, early nineties, just bringing teachers in to take leadership roles across the school district. And we called it the curriculum leadership group. And we had about, you know, 40 people across the 40 out of 300 teachers would have been involved in, you know, helping to develop plans to support their colleagues in the implementation of new curriculums, right? And I'll give you one final comment. I, one of my colleagues from, you know, OISE, very well-respected person, uh, no longer involved, but, um, you know, when I was working with CAS and we were doing an initiative called the Moving and Improving I said, well, we just need to get the universities together so that they can work together. And he said, Jim, university professors don't collaborate. So what, I, what, I'm, what I've been very proud of in the time at the U of C is that we've, we now have a four-university team that is uh, working on an analysis of how the teacher, leadership, and superintendent uh, standards are being implemented across Alberta. So we have four thousand surveys we're, in, we're we're looking at, and there's uh, so that. But it's a collaboration involving the U of L, the U of C, uh, the U of A, and the Concordia University of Edmonton. So that, that idea that you can get a lot done when you bring together the strengths of individuals uh, and um, and work in harmony, and uh, and I think that's not always. Um, I, I think it's seen as being ideal in some cases, but um, you know, I'd say it's the it's it's what has given me more satisfaction than anything in my career is just working, being being able to work with people that are way smarter than me, and that that includes most people. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I I really agree, and that resonates with me as well. I want to talk a little bit about learning environments now or the conditions that that we put in place for learning to happen and and when you think back to some of the best learning that you've done the best learning experiences I'm wondering what do you think made them powerful what was it was it people was it place was it activities what do you think helped to make the learning experience better for you
1: as a learner yeah right yeah yeah, you know, I, I think back to, um, you know, various times in my career as a learner. And um, I, I like the uh, the idea that um, uh, a gentleman from Oise works with Michael and Santiago talks about, uh, and that is learning as a practice. You know, when you think of your own learning as a practice, then it is really an important uh, way of thinking about it. So as a You know, I I'll go back to uh, junior high. I can go back to high school, and I I would say for me, my learning uh, was enhanced when I really wanted to work for somebody else. You know, I was I was motivated by my respect for the uh, teacher with whom I was working, and I had you know fantastic people at uh, various times and. In my uh, career as a student, and um, so I, I think that the what they did that generated the respect for me was that they, you know, they had a a strong sense of purpose and a strong, high expectations with high engagement, and they they engaged me in different ways, you know, in in the um, in the and at the high school levels somebody uh bill washburn was his name he became later he was a english 21 which was the you know literature 21 it was called it was the you know higher stream of of literature and um and he taught me social studies 20 but he just he just made me think and he and he um he uh he he, he really uh, you know um generated the curiosity and we so that we weren't working you know in groups and we weren't you know actively engaged in the way that you see in many classrooms now but uh individually i was very stimulated at the at the university level um one of the best experiences i had was as a, you know in my um master's program uh i you know i i encountered a woman who just retired from the University of Calgary and still there is a an emeritus professor, Bonnie Shapiro was her name. And she, you know, she created uh, in a Master of Education course on qualitative research just such a, a strong community of learners, you know, like uh, it had to do with um, you know you know really good readings, it had to do with really good arrangements that caused us to want to be in dialogue. And she provided food you know so it was <laughs> so uh, and another um another um course i took in history at the at the U of C, and when i was when i had ambitions to be a history prof uh i took a graduate level history course in my fourth year of university and um you know seminar uh discussion opportunities uh, again with a. A professor who was uh, um, very, very good at um, you know giving us really interesting and challenging experiences, taking us out of the comfort zone. It's a little bit like there's uh, you know a Canadian neuroscientist at McGill whose name is uh, Daniel um, Daniel uh, Lettinen. And uh, and uh, it it talks about, um, you know, the habits of mind and uh, and just ways of dealing, helping the mind deal with um, with things. But it's uh, and and the value of being getting out of your comfort zone and doing things. So, uh, you know, that I think that, that idea where you you were given the thought you could be better than you thought you could be. And by trying things that you wouldn't have otherwise tried, unless you're in the hands of somebody who was, you know, a, a really strong mentor.
0: So. A couple of quick hitters, I call them, uh, perhaps shorter answers, perhaps not. Uh, do you have a favorite app, a favorite website or some other media that you either personally like, that you use a lot, or that you refer your students to?
1: You know, I'm not as – I'm not as um, – active online as uh, I'd like to be. So I, you know, I I, I don't know that I have a favorite app. I'm not a social media person. One of my goals this year is to be more visible in my own research. Um, You know, I'd like to be, I'd like to be a full professor within the next couple of years. And so I, I and I do have a lot of international connections and I've done some international writing uh, with people primarily from the U S but I've also published in England. So I, so, um, so I, I don't have apps, but I do have ambitions and I probably will get into, you know, you probably Twitter will be, you know, what I start using a little more very cautiously, you know, I I, I, I don't want to get, I don't want to, time's precious. So I don't want to be sucked into a lot of those things.
0: Yeah, I agree. Here's another one that I think will be up your alley. Do you have a book that you like to quote, that you like to refer to or that you uh suggest to others to read?
1: Yeah, you know, I I I really value the work of Vivian Robinson and I I think her book on student-centered leadership is really a fantastic piece of work. So I, I and I think it's foundational. I think also um you know, two people who I've worked with over the years, Michael Fullen and Andy Hargraves, uh, and their work on professional capital. I, you know, I, and um, Michael was my external examiner on my Ph.D. dissertation, and uh, he's worked with Andy and I've worked with both of them with the College of Alberta School Superintendents. And I, I like the way they collaborate, even though they were, you know, they weren't on the same page for a few years. But um, they write over each other, and so they, they, you know, one person does the first run of the first chapter, and then the no- and then the, fir- the next person comes in and writes rewrites the first chapter and gets into the second chapter, and then you do it, you do it that way. But I, I think professional capital um, says a lot about uh, what professionalism can do, and uh, I think we do it very well in Alberta as far as the, the teaching profession.
0: All right. Do you have something that you do every day or most days that you feel keeps you well and healthy and, and ready to, to attack your work?
1: So you're, you're looking at a person with a broken shoulder <laughs> who is who working, uh, working out at the YMCA. So I, I've been, uh, I started running in, in when I was 36 years of age. And I've uh, run three to four days a week uh, ever since then. And I'm now 70. And I um, and I want to continue to do that. But I'm also realistic in knowing that uh, when I can't run, I'll walk. And so I'll, I'll walk three or four miles a day, except right now, you know, with this weather. <laughs> and uh, so I, I think um, the value of getting outside, um, and treadmills are okay, and internal workouts are okay, but the value of being... Uh, You know, we. I I, I used to live in, you know, a farming community up in northern Alberta when I first started teaching, and uh, and then you know I lived out west of Calgary for a number of years where we had outdoor pathways, and and, uh, now I live in the city, but I'm two blocks away from the Elbow River Valley, but just getting out into nature and walking and running, uh, either with my wife so that we. We can converse uh, while we're doing that, or just on my own where I can uh, think things through. So uh, I started running um, my first marathon was when I um, when we were looking at how to you know find you know dramatic changes in the school system budget, came up with some creative ideas when you're up there running you know, and uh, kicking that side of the brain. And so running. And uh, I, I also, I taught yoga in 1974 in a, in a place called Ryecroft, Alberta with 45 students. And I, and then, but I didn't know much about it. I, it used to be what we called the B option, but I've been doing re I've got back into yoga, uh, five years ago and I do it three times a week. So I, fitness is an important thing for me. Um, and, um, you know, it makes the wine go down easier when you, <laughs> or, or the scotch. If you want to talk about one of your colleagues, a couple of your colleagues, but the um, the idea that you know you you can find a little bit of forgiveness for some of your sins when you when you try to do things that you can work into almost every day. And I find if I don't keep active, it um, I just always have, and I'm I will as long as I can.
0: Yeah. Do you have an organization or a person who really inspires you?
1: I would say I've given a lot of my life to the college of Alberta school superintendents and there I've been inspired by people in the executive director capacities and those organizations. Um, and right now Barry Latune is the executive director of the college of Alberta school superintendents. And, um, you know his capacity to, um, you know, in a small organization, um, you know, impact uh, what's happening in Alberta in a very positive way. You know, just, I, I think is uh, so. I I found that Cass was with uh, three or four hundred members, very welcoming from the time I started at the age of thirty six, and I walked into the annual meeting at the Weston Hotel with my I dropped off my pick up and carrying my uh, stuff in a, in a bag and wear my gum boots <laughs> you know it, I just they accepted me <laughs> and so I, I, so I, I value you know I, I'm I, that size of an organization like I think there's value in I love I've, all, I've worked with the ATA my whole career too and I um, you know have a lot of uh, admiration for what they do on the professional learning side. But I, uh, CAS has been an organization in, in Alberta that's really been good for me. Another one is I'm, a, I'm, the, I'm the sole Canadian member of the uh, Council of Professors of Instructional Supervision, and some of my heroes uh, have been in in that group. One of them is Carl Glickman, who um, is a, a long term uh, writer on a number of education in the states so uh, that's uh, that's an organization that i enjoy being part of
0: now uh i know you've always got a couple irons in the fire so uh what are some of the things that you're working on right now some of the uh the the things we can look forward to in the in the coming maybe months or years uh from from your research and projects you've got going on
1: yeah well we well, were the, the big one. Um, that we'll be be presenting at ULEAD in Alberta and uh, will be presented in CAS, is our optimum uh, learning study, which involves the four universities, 12 researchers. Uh, We have um, 10 uh, case studies underway. We've got annual surveys that we'll be looking at over the next four years. Uh, Right now, we're analyzing the results from 4,000 surveys. With a pretty high turnout, uh, pretty high uh, rate of return, and our our intention is to provide information to practitioners that will help them uh, deepen the embedment or the deepen and embed the standards into their regular practice. So we we presented um, some illustrations of practice that will become public. Um, We presented them. At the CAS Fall Conference, and um, so we were developing a website where we put together um, a 200-page literature review in sections. Sections are on, you know, uh, benefiting from implementing standards or standards-based reform. Um, what we know about leadership standards, what we know about teaching quality, what we know about superintendent quality. And, you know, Bonnie uh, Stelmack from the U of A and Pam Adams from the U of L coordinated that. And then we had, um, you know, a number of, of the rest of us who weighed in. What is optimum learning? When you have a standard that says that as a superintendent or as a leader, as a teacher, everything should drive down to Optimum learning for all students in the school, school system, or in your class. so that's that's a very big one. and um, i I'm also uh, working with um, a couple of people from the states on the kind of uh, feedback that teacher so is on providing feedback to teachers and supervisory processes. Stephen Gordon from University of Austin in Texas and uh, Noella Fulfer from Clemson University. Uh, the three of us are working on on that project, and um, one of my doctoral students, who's a former principal of the largest high school in Western Canada, is ready to defend. And uh, he's uh, he's will likely be undertaking a book on. Uh, on um, pedagogical leadership, so the notion of uh, how it's it's, it's a, a broadening of the traditional ideas of instructional leadership, combining them with tra- transformational leadership. So we we've been offered a, an opportunity to write that into a book over the next little while, which would follow up the book that um, we published in two thousand eighteen. Uh, this this book that on, teach, on um, differentiated teacher assessment that was published through Palgrade Macmillan in, in London that's
0: great like you said you always got a couple of irons in the fire I know you Jim <laughs> well uh, I want to thank you so much Jim for, for coming on for talking to us uh, taking a little bit of time out of your busy schedule I, uh, I really appreciate it and I know that uh, people are going to take a lot away from, from what you said here so thank you very much
1: well, Corey, it's been a pleasure. Um, you know, we've known each other for about four or five years, I would think, and uh, from the very beginning, it's been, you know, a really good relationship from my standpoint. And happy to see you doing this. Uh, I think you know you you um, you don't necessarily quit your day job yet, but you're pretty good at this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. I'll, I'll keep that in mind. Uh, yeah, not looking at going anywhere right now. <laughs> All right, Jim, you take it easy. Yeah, thanks, Corey. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Intersection Education Podcast. Just a reminder that you can connect with us on our website, intersectioneducation.com, on Twitter, Intersection Ed, or leave a review on iTunes. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next time.